Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And uh, we uh, are making our way through the book of 1 Timothy. You'll notice that uh, last week we were in chapter 4 and uh, looking at kind of uh, an extension of today's message, if you will. The two go hand in hand. And so you'll notice I did skip chapter 5. And uh, chapter 5 is all about widows in the church. And uh, so we may come back to that. Uh, truthfully, the widows in the church are so unruly at Lincoln Avenue that I had no really idea what to do with it. You know, I mean, because I, I started thinking about trying to apply this stuff and started thinking about Winnie ever like doing and you know, obeying. What, and I just, I got so discouraged. I thought, I'm just going to skip that. We'll come back, you know. That's going to take a lot more prayer to tackle that group of Christians. So anyway, uh, it was just too hard for me and we'll pray for me in, uh, in that, that ministry, okay? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. You follow along. There's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Father God, we need you today. We need you to help us to understand your word, Father, and not only to understand it, God, but to obey it. And uh, Father, we, we struggle with um, our, our, our actions, but God, even more, we struggle with our desires, uh, just learning to desire the right thing. And so I pray, God, that you would help us with that today. Help us, Father, to want what we ought to want and to love what we ought to love. And, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, just make alive the Word of God today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, exciting uh, words in this uh, passage, I think, anyway. If you ask me what are, the, what are the two most exciting words in this passage, I would say great gain, okay? Uh, whenever the Bible tells me things like great gain, I get excited, you know? It's like... It's like Christmas time and there's a big present under the tree, you know, and Jason has my name on it. I get excited about that when, when the Bible says things like great gain. Now, with godliness, with contentment, there is great gain. That's an exciting little phrase to me. And, and I think it should, should arouse our attention. Uh, we should say, man, I, I want great gain. Uh, I want great value. I want great benefit. Uh, one of the things that I think often happens in, in, in reading our Bibles that I, I hate it, but we, we are so accustomed to advertising and to the world kind of saturating us with, with descriptions of things that aren't really true that I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we almost kind of skim right over things like that without it really piquing our excitement. You know, I was thinking last night, great gain. You know, I was thinking about different ways to say that. Great gain would be things like great value or great benefit. And, and I kind of got hung up on that great value. You know what, what Paul is telling us here is that godliness with contentment is of great value in your life. And then I was thinking, man, Jason, what do you think of when you think of great value? What do you think of when you think of great value? And, and I went right to my, my pantry, and uh, I, I said, this is what I think of, great value green beans. You buy them probably at any grocery store. You guys ever buy these? I got this out of our pantry this morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning, pull this out. I thought, man, that, that's what sticks in my mind when I think of great value. Now, now, here's the shame in that. There's nothing great or valuable about what's in this can, all right? These are cheap green beans. If you want the good stuff, you know, 
know, you don't do like we do. We buy great value. But if you want the good stuff, you buy Del Monte or, you know, uh, what's the other brand? Hunts or, you know, some of those brands. But you probably don't buy. We buy great value. But honestly, there's nothing great and there's nothing valuable. You know, I've never seen anybody uh, go into the grocery store, grab one of these off the shelf and be like, honey, I got it. I got it. You know, and kind of run out like this. You know, I mean. There's just nothing really exciting or uh, thrilling about having this, even when you cook it. You know, it's, it's still just green beans. That's all it is. And so it's a shame that so many times in our world, we use phrases like that, but we really know it doesn't mean that, right? Uh, and so do you, do you do the same thing when you, when you read the Bible? You know, do you, do you open up a passage like this and say, okay, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And do you read over that and say, uh, you know, great gain. I mean, it's, it's like great value green beans. Is that what it's like? It's not like that. You know why it's not like that? Because this is not an advertising document. This, this is the Word of God. This is the inspired Word of God. It is breathed out by the Holy Spirit through men chosen by God to be our rule for life. Okay, And so what I believe is when verse 6 says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, I believe that is what it means. I believe there is great, great in the sense of monumental, big, okay, value, gain, benefit, reward, blessing in godliness with contentment. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked the whole time about godliness. We talked about, uh, in chapter four, it talks about disciplining your life for godliness, and we compared that to, to bodily discipline, to, to spiritual discipline. It says, train yourself for godliness. And remember what it said? It said that bodily training is of some value, but godliness is valuable in every way. I love that, in every way. As you become more like God, godliness is becoming more like God, more like Christ. It is having a God-centered life. And is that happens in your life as you become as you begin to love God more and, and to value God more you know what's going to happen every area of your life is going to be benefited that's exciting to me every area all of your life will be of benefit as you become godly okay but what what Paul is telling us now in verse 6 is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, now the reason he adds contentment is because there were some folks, and these were false teachers, if you look in the context of chapter six, who were pursuing godliness, but they were pursuing godliness thinking, hey, this can make us some money. Okay? They were thinking, man, we, we'll be godly folks and people will respect us and we'll be able to sell our stuff and, and people will give us money and we'll be able to charge prices for our services and we will make a lot of money. And so the end product in their mind was more money, more stuff, more possessions. And Paul says, whoa, you just fell off the wagon there, buddy. You just missed it because, because you just lost your value. Godliness is of great value in every way in this life and the life to come. That's what we learned last week. But, but, but if you lose your contentment, if you begin to love material things, you run the risk of losing the gain that you might have received from godliness, okay? What is contentment, okay? Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. What, what is contentment? Well, I don't, have a, I don't have a dictionary definition for you, but let me, let me kind of tell you how I understand it. Uh, in my reading of the scriptures, contentment is that sense of being full, that sense of being satisfied, that sense of saying, what I have is enough. Um, that, that's, what, that's what contentment is. Um, it's, it's not always wanting more. It's, it's basically saying what God has given is, is enough for me. Um, now, now you, you should not be content in every area of life, by the way, okay? I'm not saying that contentment is good in every area of life. It's not. There are some areas of life that you should have a healthy discontent. 
Okay, things like your spiritual life. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see the words he uses there? Hunger and thirst. When you're hungry, what, what does that mean? It means you're not content, right? You're saying, okay, something is wrong in here that we need to fix, right? I, I need something else to satisfy me. When you're thirsty, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm not content with the way I am. I need something to drink. I need some water, okay? So, so Jesus is, is, is using words here that express discontent. But, but he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who say, man, I want more righteousness. I want more of Christ's righteousness. I want more of practical righteousness. I want to be more like Jesus. Okay, blessed is that guy who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. In the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, Peter is talking about adding to your faith. In verse 5, he says, make every reason to supplement your faith with virtue. In other words, pursue virtue, pursue knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And then verse 8 says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Okay, notice that word, increasing. They ought to always be increasing. In other words, you ought to always have a healthy discontent in your spiritual life. You ought to always say, you know what? I, I, I do love my brother, but I want to love him more. You know what? I, I do have self-control, but I want more self-control. You know what? I do have virtue, but I want more virtue. In other words, you ought to have a healthy discontent in your spiritual life. You ought to want more of the things of God, okay? So, so discontent in certain areas of life is a good thing. In this particular area, which is finances, money, possessions, it is... Not a good thing, okay? Um, the, the clear context of this passage, if you look at verse 9, talks about those who desire to be rich. Verse 10 talks about the love of money. It's rid of all kinds of evil, uh, evils. It's clearly the con- context is money and possessions, okay? Um, it's hard for us to come to the point that we are content with our things, with our income. Uh, what does it look like to have contentment? Paul, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it look like to have contentment with your finances, with your possessions? Let me throw some things out there. I, th- I think it looks like not, not always having a, I wish I had more attitude. Okay, Do you, you ever have that? Oh, I wish I had more. I wish, I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I had a better car. I wish I had you know, more things. I wish I had better clothes. I wish I had better shoes. I wish I had you know, more disposable income. I wish I had more vacation time. You know, th- that whole I wish I had you know, that, that whole desire of, of just craving more things and more, that, 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 that's, that's an unhealthy thing in your life. That is, that is what Paul is talking about here that can steal the great gain of godliness from your life. Being bummed out. You, you ever get bummed out that your stuff isn't as nice, you know? You, you, ever, you ever pull up to church and, and somebody's got a you know, nicer vehicle or whatever and you, you pull up and immediately you're kind of, there's this kind of sinking feeling in you that you're kind of bummed out that they've got something nicer than you or, or you walk in and someone's dressed nicer or, or they got a nicer four-wheeler or motorcycle or boat or uh, house or whatever, nicer job, more money, you know? And you ever have that, that kind of bummed out, that deflated feeling in, in, in your life where you begin to walk around kind of like this, you know, in your heart anyway, you know, thinking that you just wish, if only I had more, I wish I had more. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a sign that that's a bad direction in your life. Uh, that's discontent, okay? That, that's not godliness with contentment. Um, if you're flooded with desires, if you, if you, if you sit around and dream, you know, uh, if you find yourself using lots of your mental energy, dreaming about if only I had this, and if only we had this, and that's a bad sign. It's a sign of discontent in your life. Now, now let's back up and, and clarify some things. What, 
what, what the Bible is not saying here is that we shouldn't work hard. I, I see all through the Bible a, a sense, a, a teaching of you ought to work hard no matter what you do. If you work in the oil field, if you are a teacher, if you're a plumber, if you're you, uh, uh, in the service industry, if you're a farmer, what, whatever you do, you ought to work hard. You ought to want to do a good job. You ought to want to be successful. I mean, I, those are good things. You ought to want to provide for your family. Those are all great things. The Bible does not command or condemn that in any way. But, but what the Bible does condemn is this sense of discontent with what God has given, okay? And, and so, so contentment is, is a sense of, of, of well-being, of it, it's good, it's okay, I have what I need no matter what the Lord gives, okay? So whatever situation you find yourself in, and most likely everybody in this room has found themselves in different situations of life. Is that true of you? You know, you know, sometimes you make a lot of money. Sometimes maybe you haven't made hardly any money. Sometimes you're in between. Sometimes you're, you're, you're just diff, diff, back and forth on that scale. And, and contentment is no matter where I find myself on that scale in my life, in my circumstances, I have a sense of it's good. Whatever God has given is good. I, I have enough. I, I have a sense of well-being. I have a sense of hope. I have a sense of, 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 of God is good because of what the Lord has given. Paul had different times like that in his life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, uh, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Did you hear that? In whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. Some of you are saying, well, that's no secret. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not very hard to face times of plenty, but, but I think it is actually. Uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, it's interesting, we quote that verse all the time. Do we, do we connect it with its context? And its context is, no matter what situation I find myself in my life, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm happy, I'm, I'm good, I'm satisfied with whatever the Lord has given. And, and so let's just kind of put this in practical, uh, in practical terms. Let's say God has given an abundance right now in your life. And let's say you live in a house where everybody gets to have their own room. That's, that's, that's great, huh? I guess. I don't, I don't know. We've never actually had that in our house. But, you know, everybody gets to have their own room, you know? And, and so, wow. And, and not only that, but you've got, you got one vehicle that works. You've got two vehicles that, that, that works, you know? And, and, and so, wow, you've got two vehicles that work, and you've got, you got a house that everybody gets their own room. You've got plenty of space, and, and you've got a good income right now. And, and let's say you can go out to eat, you know, when you want to. And, and let's say this, this has been a cool thing in our life. We always kind of include this. But little purchases are not a struggle. You know, let's say you're at one of those points in your life where, you know, you wake up on Saturday morning. This is how we do it. You wake up on Saturday morning. It's soccer season, first day of soccer season. You know, the game's in 30 minutes, and you're like, okay, go put on your soccer cleats from last year, you know? And you just assume, we do anyway, they didn't grow any last year, you know? And so they're like, Dad, it don't fit, you know? And, and, and man, isn't, isn't it a blessing, you know, when you're in this season of your life to be able to get in the car and run to Hibbit Sports, buy soccer cleats, you know? I mean, that. Uh, some people take that for granted. You know, we've been in our lives where that, we couldn't do that, you know? Uh, I mean, we, we had to depend on people handing stuff down to us and, and, you know, grandma buying cleats for birthday or whatever. But, but let's say you're in that season of plenty in your life where, you know, your basic necessities are covered, everything runs, your, your house functions were right, you know, you got room for everybody, you have money for the little situations of life, you can eat out sometimes or when you want to or frequently, okay? But then there are other times in your life where there's not enough room kind of crowded all together, you know, you got eight kids stacked up in one room, you know, and kind of, you got them layered out, you know, in shelves, you bought shelving and that's their, their, their bed, you know, and 
Uh, we brought Hannah home in a suitcase. You know, I remember that. You know, that was her bed was, was a suitcase for the first three or four months of her life. You know, maybe, maybe you had something like that or a drawer. Some of you have done that. I've heard stories about you guys doing that. Uh, and, and you know what? You don't get to eat out very much. And, and you, have a, you have a vehicle, but it, it, it only works part-time. You know, it's, it's on a part-time. It, it only give you 20 hours a week. It won't give you 40, you know. It's only working part-time for you. And so you got to walk some. You got a bum ride. You got to ride your bike. And, and you know, you got to depend on other folks maybe to hand down some soccer and so, so let's say you're in that situation. Okay, contentment is whether I'm in the first situation, I'm saying, hey, the Lord, the Lord is blessed. The Lord is given. Thank you, Lord. I'm good. You know, man, God, you're good. And, and my joy is full. And God, I know you're going to provide. Well, let's say you're in the second situation. And you say, the Lord is good. He's provided. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given. Uh, God, God I'm, uh, uh, I know you're going to provide. I know you're going to give us everything we need. Okay, contentment is that it, whether, like Paul said, whether you face plenty or want, abundance or hunger, you, you, you say, God is good. I have what I, I need. I've learned the, the secret of contentment. Contentment in, in our financial condition is, is basically this. Your finances don't determine your happiness. That's the big one. Your finances don't determine your happiness. Okay? Your, your mood is not based upon how many things you have or how nice your things are. Your attitude is not based on your income. Your outlook, the hopefulness of your life is not based on what you purchase at the mall. You know, there are a couple big signs of, of discontent in people's lives. Uh, number one is consumer debt. You know, if you find yourself having a bunch of credit card debt, um, no matter what you say about yourself, you're probably in a state of discontent. Unless like the credit card debt was you're paying off hospital bills or, you know, something like that. But, but I mean, if the credit card debt is you bought stuff that you couldn't wait to get the money to buy, you, you had to buy it now because you had to get it. Why? Because you had to meet a need in your life. That's why we buy stuff, right? We don't buy stuff we don't need. I mean, who goes to the store? I'll never use that. Put it in the cart, you know? I mean, we buy stuff because we, we think we, we need it, right? I want it. I need to have this. Number two, a sure sign of discontent in your life is if you buy things for therapeutic reasons. You ever do that? I, I said that kind of going to try to do it in a nice way, but you, basically you get a fix. You get a hit off of buying stuff. For a lot of people, shopping is a drug. You know, that when I'm sad, it, it makes me feel better to buy something. It makes me feel better to have something new. It makes me feel better to, to have a new toy, to have a new shirt, to have a new whatever, you know, a new piece of jewelry. And if you find yourself having that kind of therapeutic, that, that, that's a sign that you're discontent with what God has given. And so, again, Paul says godliness is, has great gain. Remember last week, in every way, every part of your life, your marriage, your parenting, your, your, your relationships, your friendships, your, your, your work, your, 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 your household, your, your spiritual life, it, it has gain in every way, value in every way. But Paul is saying here, be careful though, because godliness with contentment has great gain. But if you have discontent in your life, that could hurt you. And that could steal the gain out of your life. Now why? Why, why would the Bible say that? Why, why, would, why would Paul say here that, that we need to be content? Uh, why would he say here that, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation? Why would he say here that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? A couple reasons. Number one is because what the Bible teaches is, is that material things have a very low-yield investment. Okay, they are a low-yield investment. What that means is, is, is material things, you pour a lot into them, they don't give you much back. 
Okay? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that everything in this world, all of our possessions, basically have a very limited, they have a very diminishing return. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay? So, so Jesus is saying, man, don't treasure material things. Don't make that your treasure. Don't make that your happiness. Don't make that your fulfillment. You know why? Because those things will inevitably disappoint you. Okay? Now, I'm convinced there are people in this church that, that their things give them happiness longer than, than my things do. And I don't know why that is. I want to say it's the Lord's just sovereign hand in my life, just teaching me not to put my hope in things. I kind of think they take care of their stuff better than I do, but I, I don't want to think that. I mean, that's a possibility. But, 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 but I just know, man, God has just driven home in my life. Things will never satisfy you. Let me give you an example. The thing I've been most excited, the material possession that I have been most excited about in the last year has been my scooter. My dad gave me a, a scooter. It was his old scooter. He'd had it for three or four years and uh, he got a motorcycle. So he gave me a scooter and, uh, so thrilled about it. I was so thrilled. It, number one, it's just fun. It's just fun to drive. I mean, it makes getting to work just fun, you know? I'd come up on Mike about 40 miles an hour, just blare the horn, just come right by him, you know? And it was just, it's just a blast. And so it's fun to drive. But not only that, but I just felt a great sense of superiority as I'm riding that thing. And I'll pull up beside some of you guys in your diesel trucks and, and, you know, I'm waving. But what I'm thinking is, you're paying 150 bucks a week to drive that around. I'm paying $2.50, $2.50 a week, you know. And I just drive away thinking, man, suckers, you know. And every six months, insurance, $3.50, you know. I walk into State Farm and I just, I put that check down. I give them a tip, you know. I feel, feel bad about the check being so small, you know. And I, I just had a great sense of, of joy in that. But you know what happened? About a month into it, my joy begins to diminish, okay. About a month in, my blinker breaks. That's the first thing that broke, okay. So normally, you, you just like push it to the left and it would just stay on. And you turn left and then you push the little button and it click off. It, st- it stopped working, and so now I have to do it manually. I either have to do this number, you know, or, and that's hard to do because, you know, you got, you got to throttle and brake at the same time. And, and so what I had to start doing was I had to start learning to do it with my thumb. It, it, the light still works. It just won't stay on. So I got to like click left, click, you know, I kind of try to do it in rhythm, you know. <laughs> Especially if there's a police officer. Cause I don't want him to know that it doesn't work. So I got, I got to do it in rhythm, you know. And left is easier because you're pulling with your thumb. Right, you're pushing, you know. And you got to steer and, you know. But anyway, I, I got that down. That wasn't a problem. So like a month in, that breaks. I'm like, okay, it's all right. So left, right, you know, I got that down. You know, well, the next thing, first of all, the battery goes out. So I, and I didn't replace the battery. I, thought, I can do, I can, I'll just start it, you know. And so that was okay. And then, then the next thing to break was the, 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 the kill switch. Uh, one morning I, I came out and I went to grab the throttle to, to twist it, to, to kind of prime it, to start it. And, and I hit that kill switch just with my thumb, just passing by. It just flies off. Just boom, you know, flies off. No more kill switch. And then, and then the seat breaks, okay? And, and, and the seat was very useful because I would, I would uh, it has a still, you turn the key backwards and the seat pops up and you have a storage compartment. I would, man, milk, groceries, my, my books, I'd put all that stuff in there. So I was opening it, closing it probably like 10 times a day. You know, everywhere I'd go, I'd keep my stuff in there, open, closing my coat, whatever. And, and so that thing, the, the key starts, the, the strip started to be stripped out in there. It won't open that deal up. I still got stuff in there. I don't know what I have in there. I can't get it out, you know? So that breaks, I'm like, okay, you know? And, and, and then the key stops where it won't turn off and on. 
Okay, and so finally I get it and on, and I just leave it there. And so, so now I start it, and I just leave it always in the on switch. And, and the way I kill it is I, I kick the kickstand down. If you kick the kickstand down, the side it kills the engine. And so, so I keep, stop it that way. Yeah. Well, this last week, uh, the key bent in there. You know, you got to get gas. You got to open up the, the back deal with the key. The key is bent. I can't even get the, the gas tank. So I, I take it in my shop and I put it in the vise and I bend the key back and I can. I finally get the gas tank open. And, and then my, my wife yelled at me that Addie had an orthodontist appointment, so I couldn't take it anyway. So I, I still haven't put fuel in it to drive it again. But you know, did you want to know all that about my scooter? That's a lot to tell you, isn't it? Here, does your life, maybe yours doesn't go that way. Mine goes that way. It's just what, whatever you have, you know. You buy a house, what starts happening? It starts breaking, doesn't it? You get frustrated, right? Things plug up, Things, man, they break, they make a mess, you know, in the most inconvenient times. And you know what Jesus is teaching us? Don't put your treasure in that stuff. If you do, you're going to be a person who always has to buy new and better and more. So you've got to work more hours to buy better and to buy new and to buy more. You know why? Because it keeps disappointing you. Jesus tells us it has a disappointing return. Not only does it have a diminishing return like this, but you hit a, you hit a place here, this place, it's called death. And that stuff stays here, and you leave. That's that's what Paul tells us here. Verse 7, we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Nobody nobody came into this world wearing a Rolex and having a billfold. The only thing you came into this world with is that that slimy white stuff, that, you know, vernix, nasty stuff. That's all you got when you came into the world. And you're not going to leave with anything else. Okay? Nothing. Nothing. And so whatever, whatever you're putting your hope in, whatever you're investing, whatever you're slaving for, whatever you're, you're busting your tail to get, just realize this, it will not be yours forever. It may not be yours for 10 minutes. Remember, remember Luke chapter 12, where Jesus tells the story of the rich man who has this abundant year, you know, and, 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 he, and he has this great crop. And, and, and so what he does is he starts planning. You know, I almost think that that's funner than actually spending the money. It's planning to spend the money. You know, after you spend it, there's this kind of, ah, that's gone, you know. But, but when you're planning to spend the money, you know, when you're dreaming, that's when it, you know, the real satisfaction. And so he starts dreaming. And he starts dreaming about, man, I'm going to build bigger barns. And, you know, I'm going to invest away. And I'm going to lay up. And, and he starts thinking about his future. And, and we always all have this. We always have this thought that, man, if this just comes through for me, I will have it made. Isn't it? You, ever, you ever have that feeling? Man, this is it. I'll have it made. And so he's, he's having this feeling. And so he does all this planning. And then he dies. He dies that night. And God says, you fool. Man, you fool. You, you laid up treasures here. And you laid up nothing for eternity. You, you know the truth of the matter? You only have so much time. You only have so much energy. You only have so much effort. And if you spend that all on, on material things... You're going to cheat yourself in what will really matter forever. We talked about eternity last week, so I'm not going to spend much more time on that. But you remember what we said last week about eternity and about the fullness of joy and the pleasures forever and the new heavens and the new earth. Folks, put some away. Invest. Next thing Paul says here. He says in verse 8, But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Why should we be content? Why? Why should, why should we worry about godliness with contentment? Well, Paul says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. That maybe is the most challenging verse in the whole Bible for the American church. You know what Paul's basically saying? He's saying there's a level 
of material possessions that really does matter. Does it matter whether your kids eat or not? That matters. Yeah, it does. It really does. Does it matter if they have nutritious food? It does. Does it matter if they have a roof over their head? That matters. That matters. Does it matter whether they have clothes and, and shoes? That, that stuff does matter, okay? We're not saying it doesn't matter, and that's why we should work hard, because there, are, there is a level of basic necessities of life that really matters. Now, what, what Paul's saying, though, is that beyond that has a very limited ability to impact your happiness, okay? So, so up to a level, yes, yes, yes. You know, having food to eat is a whole lot better than starving, okay? Now, above that, though, there's not, there's not much... Not much ability for it to affect your happiness. How, how do I know that? You know, just think about this. What if, what if, uh, what if you, what if you got a million dollars today? Boom, million dollars. Okay. Here's what I wonder: How long would that affect your everyday joy, happiness, sense of well-being? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. If you guys want to give me a million dollars, I will do an experiment and I'll journal everything and I'll, I'll kind of have a happiness level and I. I mean, I don't want you to do it because it's a dangerous thing, but, but I, would, I, would, I would do that for you. I would do that for you. But I don't know how long. But here's what I do know. It would not be permanent. It would not be permanent. I, I think actually, let me just guess. I'm going to guess a month. I think that's generous. I think it's generous to say that a month, you know, you'd have some planning. You'd have some dreaming. You'd, you'd do some, buy some things you'd always wanted. You'd give to some things you'd always wanted to give to. And, and there, would, there would be some... So I think some practical happiness. You'd pay off some bills, you know. So I think, but, but you know what happened? You would eventually reach a point where you would just move on with life. And it wouldn't matter anymore. You, you know why I know that? Two ways. Number one, the Bible says it. That's an important way, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, write that one down. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. The Bible just says it. Okay, number two, my own experience. I've never had a million dollars, but I have greatly increased in my income. 1991, Em and I are just married, uh, newly married. We live in Bolivar, Missouri. We make about $500 a month uh, between the two of us as we go to school. Um, we were very happy, very happy. Uh, real happy. We didn't have insurance. Uh, had had our had Addie with uh, with a midwife. Uh, couldn't stay in the hospital longer than twelve hours from the time we entered to the time we left. Um, so there were some things that were inconvenient, but but we were really happy. We take we take long walks in the evening. We'd walk up to McDonald's and get a twenty nine cent twist cone. She'd lick off one side. I'd lick off the other side. We. Uh, we had great friendships. We had a, an incredible prayer group that we went to every Tuesday and Thursday night. Uh, just prayed down the heavens. Uh, we went with those folks witnessing on Friday nights. We had a great church. We had a great pastor. Um, we had good mentor relationships. Uh, we loved to watch the Chicago Bulls. It's the only time in my life that I, I've got to watch sports. And uh, we, 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 we had, I just had more time. And we watched every game of the NBA Finals, the Chicago, Chicago Bulls. We were playing in, in 1991. We were happy, okay? Um, now, fast forward. We don't live in government-subsidized housing anymore. We used to. We, did, we don't now, though. We have our own house. Man, you guys have really, you've been good to us. We have our own house. Um, we, we can eat out when we want to. Um, we have two cars that run and a scooter that runs. Uh, we, right now, 
right now, pretty much, we need soccer cleats. We can go get them. Um, sometimes, again, we've got to wait till next week till we get a paycheck. You know, you know how that goes. But, you know, pretty much if we need something like soccer cleats or kids need a, you know, a shirt for school or whatever, we, we can go buy that. But, but here's the thing, and, and I'll tell you this honestly. I don't think I'm more happy now than I was then. I mean, I was really happy then. I'm really happy now. Um, I, don't, I don't think, and, and, and if I am more happy, it's not because of things. I, it really isn't. I mean, I tell you that honestly. Some of you, do you have a similar experience? I mean, would you, would you be able to look at your life and say, you know, I was here, now I'm here, but really there's not any change in my happiness? I do this, this fun thing, I think. I, write down, make a list, not now. I want you to listen to me now, but after church, write down things that make me happy, okay? Let, I did this last night, things that make me happy. Here was my list, and, and I'm not saying this first one just because I'm a preacher. This is honest, honest to the Lord truth. When I feel like I'm doing good spiritually, when I th- feel like I'm right with the Lord, that's a very happy thing in my life. Um, when I feel like I've sinned, that is, I'm miserable. Are you that way? I, I hope you are, actually. I think that's a good sign. Uh, when I feel like I've watched something on TV that I should not watch, I, I'm miserable. When I feel like I've, uh, I've said something to my wife that I shouldn't have said, when I feel like I've been too harsh with my kids, when I feel like I've let somebody down, a friend, Man, when I feel like I've let the Lord down, when I feel like I'm slacking in my spiritual life, I am not happy. But when I, when I feel like I am being obedient to Jesus and I'm being used by Jesus, I, that is the number one factor in me feeling good about life, hopeful about the future. So that's number one, okay? Honestly, that's number one. Let me read you my, the rest of my list. And I, maybe these are just, I was tired, I don't know. But this is what I wrote down. Um, these are things that make me happy. Listen to my kids giggle. Uh, I like that. I, I like that so much, I have taped it on my phone. I've recorded it on my phone, and I, and I synced it with iTunes, so I have it now. And, and whatever phone I get in the future, I can just transfer it over. Someday I'll be in the rest home, you know, and I'll be lay, laying there about to die, and I'll pick up my phone, and I'll, I'll listen to my kids giggle, you know? I mean, that, that's just a, that's a good, that's a good, I don't know, I like it. I like to tickle my kids. I, I like that. We go out, to, uh, number two, or three, we go out to, uh, behind the Hensley's house sometime in this field, and we lay on a blanket, and we look up at the stars, and we have our, our family devotion there, and we just, we just hang out outside. Man, I like that. It's one of the reasons I like camping. Uh, we, we just go out in the mountains somewhere or wherever we're camping, and we'll go out and look at the stars at night. I really enjoy that. Um, eating, with, eating at Subway with my wife on Tuesdays. Um, I haven't got to lately, but most Tuesdays I try anyway to take my wife to Subway, and we, we have lunch before she goes to work on Tuesday. I really like that. Uh, I find a lot of joy in that. Um, riding my bicycle early in the morning with my buddies. Man, I, sun coming up, out on the road, 55 degrees. That makes me happy. Um, watching some funny thing with my wife and laughing real hard with her. Um, we like that. I, that's probably a stupid thing, but we were watching a, an old sitcom the other day on that TV land, you know, that has the old old sitcoms. And uh, we, we were just laughing so hard, just sitting on the couch. I, I don't know. I just, I, I think about that. I, I like that. That something that makes me happy. Um, reading a really good book. I, I got a big list here. Anyway, but here, that's my list. You're saying that's the dumbest thing I ever heard, Pastor. You know, my list is completely different. That's fine. Whatever makes you happy. But here, here's the truth about my list. I looked over that list. If my income would quadruple today, it would not affect that list positively. It might affect it negatively. You know why I say that? 
Usually when your income increases, that means you're working more or harder, right? And, and so, awful guys, you know this. You're, you're working 80 hours a week. That might affect a lot of that. I might not be able to tickle my kids. I might not be able to eat with my wife on Tuesdays. Uh, I might not be able to ride my bike in the morning. Uh, might not be able to watch TV. Might not re- I mean, all, actually all of them. So, so in a real way, having more, if that is, I mean, if someone just gives me more, I guess, you know, I don't think it's going to affect it positively. It's just neutral. But actually working for more might affect that negatively. Okay. Now, what if my, what if my income goes down? Let's say quadruply. <laughs> okay. Um, it would affect Subway, probably. I probably wouldn't be able to go to Subway with my wife on Tuesday. All the rest of them, I don't know that it would change. Especially if I was working less. If I, if I was working less, actually, we, we'd probably go out and look at the stars more. I'd probably be home at night more. You see what I'm saying? There, there's not a real... You would, you'd automatically think, well, more money means more happiness. But when I sit down and wrote the things, these are the things that make me happy. None of them are affected by money. Isn't that interesting? It was for me. I can tell you're not impressed, but it, man, it was. It's deeply impacting for me. Okay, final reason we got to go here. Wow, you're missing lunch. It's a good thing that you're so polite and you won't just get up, though. Uh, the desire to be rich is a harmful desire. It leads to other harmful desires. I'll go fast here, okay? Uh, Paul says the love of money. Notice he doesn't say having money, okay? He does not say having money. That's not it. You know, don't, don't think, well, I don't have much money. You know, that's all relative. You have a lot of money compared to most of Africa, to most of Indonesia, to most of India, okay? But let's say, well, you don't have a lot of money compared to most Americans. He doesn't say having money. He says loving money, okay? Loving money. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that the Lord is the one who makes rich. And, and God, God doesn't give people sin, all right? So, so it's not having money. It's loving money. And loving money can keep you from pursuing true gain. It can put your heart in the wrong place. It is incredibly important what you love. Just understand that. Whatever you love incredibly impacts your life. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so loving money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice he says a root. Where's a root at? It's underneath the ground, okay? There's not many people in this church that would just come out and say, you know what, Pastor? I am all about having nicer things than everybody else. I'm all about having new things. I'm all about having the best clothes. I'm all about having the, the nicest. I mean, that's what I live for. Nobody would say that. But you know what? There's a root in some of us, isn't there? It's underneath there. It's hidden. But, but when it grows up, it bears all kinds of bad fruit. I was reading the deal by Stephen Cole, and he went through the Ten Commandments, and he said, let's test this out. Love and money is the root of all kinds of evil. Can we, can we, do people break every one of the commandments by loving money. I think he pulled it off. You know, idolatry, the first two, that's obvious. Yeah, uh, people make an idol of money. Uh, thou shalt not uh, um, take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, and how many times do people get really angry over monetary issues to the point they curse? Happens, doesn't it? Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, I do think that people take no rest. They don't rest as they ought to. They don't take a Sabbath in order to make more money. Honor your father and mother. Man, how many times have you seen an inheritance deal go badly and people greatly dishonor their parents over who got what monetarily? Number six, I shall not kill. Yeah. Seven, adultery. I wondered about the adultery one because I kind of think adultery is a root in itself. But, but prostitution, 
People leaving one spouse to another spouse because of financial things. Number eight, thou shalt not steal, obviously. Nine, lie, obviously. Ten, covet. It's exactly what he's talking about. It is. It's a root of all kinds of sin, isn't it? All right, last thing, real quick. The foundation of contentment. What's the foundation of contentment? Here it is. The foundation of contentment is that we can trust God to be and provide all we need. Okay? Let me read you one verse. Man, I'm sorry I didn't manage my time well. Um, I hate that we're missing this part of it. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. You know what he says there? He says, we can have contentment because we have Jesus. All that stuff you're trying to meet, well, well, all that stuff we think money's going to meet in our life, security, pleasure, identity, feeling good about ourselves, all of that stuff, money actually doesn't work. But Jesus can meet all of those things. One last illustration. Let's say you're going to New York City, and you really want, you want, you want to make the best of your trip, but you know nothing about New York City. And so you need, some, you need some help, you know. And so, so you buy a Fromers. You buy one of those travel books, you know, that tell you all the best places to go, all the place, best places to eat, how to get there. You buy a couple maps. You buy a subway map. You buy, you buy a Garmin, you know, a GPS system that you can try to find your way around the city. But let's say on your way to uh, New York City, you're, you have all that in a bag and you lose it all. Now, now, now what? Now, now you have no means of getting to those things that you believe are going to make a satisfying trip. But what if when you got to the airport, you met your long-lost cousin, Guido, He's a New York City cab driver. And Guido tells you, he says, he says, you know what? I'm so happy to see you from Oklahoma that I'm taking the whole week off and I'll take you wherever you want to go. He says, not only will I take you wherever you want to go, but he says, I know the best places. I know every, every, every good place to eat in this city. I, I, I know all the, the best landmarks. I won't take you to the junk that's all touristy and no fun. I'm going to take you to the best stuff. Guido's better than a bag full of stuff, isn't it? Okay, I think what Jesus is saying here, I got, I got ribbed after the first service there. You, you, you compared God to a New York City cab driver. I'm not doing that. What, what I'm trying to show you is, Jesus says, you can be content. Why? Because you have me. I'm not leaving you. And I'm your helper. Isn't he better? Isn't he better than money? You say, well, man, what about my security though, pastor? Don't you have Jesus? Can't you call on him? Won't he answer? Hasn't he answered in the past? You know, I, I think discontent is a really horrible sin because I think what it says is, Jesus, you're not enough. Isn't that what it says? It says, oh, it's nice, Jesus, that I'm joined to you and that you forgave me for my sins and you promised to help me and you fill me with your spirit, but Jesus, you just don't cut it. I've got to have some cash, Jesus, to be able to buy some stuff because that's what's really going to make me happy. I just don't believe it's true. Jesus, thank you for uh, giving us all we need. Thank you that you are our helper. And uh, God, you, you, are, you are the one who, who gives us what we need. God, not only who gives us what we need, but Lord, you're what we need. You're the one who fills our heart and, and brings us joy, satisfies our soul. So Lord, we love you. We, we ask for your help. Uh, we pray that you would give us a, a godly contentment. Lord, and that it would be great gain in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.